0: Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. This is episode number five. I'm Brian.
1: I'm Seth. And this is Jesse.
0: This is a fan podcast about Mad Men. You can find us on iTunes if you look up Scotch and Smokes. And you can also find us on Facebook doing the same. And we also have a website that is madcast.net if you'd like to leave a comment about some of our past discussions. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Mad Men episode, Far Away Places. Welcome
1: back, Jesse. Thank you very much. I am
2: I am <laughs> We missed you last week.
1: Thank you. It was a great discussion. I listened to it and you guys carried on a wonderful discussion about a great episode. I will tell you, as much as I enjoyed listening to Springsteen and touring bourbon distilleries in Kentucky, a little jealous I didn't get to talk about Pete getting his clock cleaned. <laughs> so uh, but this is another good episode to talk about.
2: Oh, this is a great episode, yeah.
0: And just speaking of the last episode, we did have a comment on our website that someone mentioned that apparently—I didn't listen closely enough to hear this, but this person mentioned that O to Joy was playing yeah. at one point during the party—
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that Ode to Joy was, but certainly Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which ends with the the last movement of the symphony, is the Ode to Joy. I can't remember exactly what was playing during the party at Pete's house. It certainly was the Ninth Symphony, though, yes. So the commenter is right.
1: We had talked about in an earlier discussion that Matthew Mm -hmm. Weiner had said that no matter what Don does, he comes across as likable. And no matter how likable Betty is, people don't like her. For the first time, I did not like Don. I thought this was a horrible, childish move, a dangerous move. I realize this is not the aughts, but even in the middle of the 60s, leaving your wife alone, there are no cell phones. There are nothing. I mean, you know, she's what do you just to go? And yes, he calms down and turns around, but that is totally unacceptable, and very, very just mean and childish on his part.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember the incident. I believe it was in season four where he is having the affair with the school teacher. I can't remember her name. I remember the actress. The actress is Abigail Spencer, but I don't remember her name in the, in the show. Anyway, he's having this wonderful little affair with her and it hits a point where you know what? She starts falling in love with him, and she knows she shouldn't, and she tells herself that, and she tells him that. At some point, she's making dinner for them. She's making Italian food for them, and he doesn't want to engage in the conversation about where we go, what we do from here. He says, I'm going to go in and take a nap. He's going to go sit there. He's going to lie down on the bed. Come get me when you want me. Ah, so he walks away from that one too. So it's kind of what he learned in childhood, I think, from that hobo who just, you know, doesn't want to engage in the debate and the fight. He walks away.
1: To jump through, Bert Cooper calls him on it, you know, oh, at the yeah. very end. Which, oh, yeah. by the way, we tend to think of Bert as kind of comedy and he's lost his edge and he's just this mm. old fuddy duddy. And he's like, You've been on love vacation? It is time for you to quit leaving our business in the hands of a little girl.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is my business. I agree with you. I mean, you see, I've been saying from the beginning of this podcast that Bert, even though he seems to play the fool, he knows everything. The older people in this series seem to know everything. And I, I, I turn to Bert Cooper. I believe he knows everything. Uh, Pauline, the grandmother, the mother of uh, Henry Francis, seems to know everything. She is a very bright lady. She sussed out Betty very quickly. So, yeah, I think Bert knows what's going on. And sure, look, what I liked about this episode, and and again, sorry for moving around too quickly here, is that so many of the themes that we have been discussing in the last three weeks have come home to roost. We said that Megan working at Sterling Cooper Draper Price was a bad idea, and we saw it in this episode. We also said that Don has sort of left the business as an active participant. He's absent. He's not engaged. And that's what Bert just said to him, as Jesse pointed out. We also pointed out so many times that everybody's unhappy in their marriage on this series. And boy, did we see that. Maybe no better than um, Roger Sterling, who jokes about everything but gets high on LSD, and um, ultimately the truth comes out. He's not happy. He and Jane know that they should split up, and it looks like they're going to. Although what I thought was kind of funny is that even in this LSD induced stupor, Jane agrees that it's over, but then she recovers quickly and says, it's going to be expensive. I thought that was great. I Um, thought that was great.
1: On a kind of weird coincidence, I have tickets to see the Beach Boys tonight here in Dallas, they are doing a reunion tour. All the surviving original members are touring. And it was the wonderful song from Brian Wilson's masterpiece, Pet Sounds, that was playing during the uh, LSD trip, I Just Wasn't Made for These Times, which yeah. is an appropriate song for this uh, season of the show.
2: Right. And I guess the other theme that I failed to mention here came home to roost in this episode, particularly vividly, was the fact that women are starting to feel their wild oats. Megan, as I've said in the past few weeks, I think she's Don's equal in many, many ways. And she's not afraid to say so. And boy, did she ever say so in this episode. And then Peggy, of course. Peggy trying to play Don, trying to play the Don role with the Heinz people. And it didn't work, of course, because women, I guess they're trying to say that women still don't quite have the cachet, you know, or the equality, rather, that men did in those days. But she tried. She certainly pushed the envelope.
1: Yeah, and the client is saying...
2: No, oh, the client was if, crazy. I mean, if, the client is all like, over the place.
1: You're lucky I have a daughter. She's so frustrated. Yeah. And the truth is, it sounded like a good campaign to me, but mm-hmm. part of Advertising is also selling to the client, sure, and not just, hey, here's my ideas, it's brilliant, now reward me with you know, applause and money. It was a great episode as far as the timelines, because you see Don sweating and nervous and upset and calling Peggy, and Peggy is all focused on, I'm so sorry, it's my fault, and he could care less, because he's not thinking yeah. about it, but, he's, you know, but you don't know that at that point. I did want to talk, let's spend a little time talking about Howard Johnson's. I worked at Howard Johnson's right out of high school in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I was a waiter for about nine months at a Hojo's where we sold the fried clams. And uh, don't remember the orange sherbet being a big player, though I do certainly remember the uh, different flavors of ice cream. Don was just convinced that the orange sherbet was going to be like heaven for his lovely bride, and she was not buying it at all. She wanted pie, and she was not impressed with the sherbet.
2: The larger thing, of course, as we said, he he just pulled her out of the office there, and he shouldn't have done that.
1: No, not at all. In fact, you could see it really bothered her. She's like, I'm part of the team. This is important. You are not treating me like a valuable team member.
2: And I guess it also shows that here she is, 20 years or so, his junior, not quite, maybe 15, and she's trying to make a career. Whereas he is, is, as we've noted many times here, he's not engaged in the business at all anymore. He's really at it.
0: I think with Don, the thing that Seth, you mentioned, this is a culmination of several things from the past several episodes. And I think in the previous few episodes, we had seen... Don not having his way and being told to do certain things. In this episode, it seemed like he snapped at a point where he was no longer going to take that. Like he, right. he had met a quota of, all right, you've said you want to do this, and all right, I'm going to take you here. And And wait a minute, you're questioning that? What? And it seemed like that was after... Many weeks of him just being like, yeah, okay, you want me to call her up, I'll call her up. You want me to go to this party, I'll right, we'll go to this party. I want you, to, you want me to wear this jacket, i am wear this jacket. And I think he met his limit, and he responded, obviously, very poorly. Now it becomes a question of, well, does Megan see that? Does she see that he doesn't quite want as much true give and take, equal give and take, as uh, maybe she thinks is necessary or desires or... Because right now they, you know, he's like, "Well, we had a fight," and she's like, well, "In her eyes, it's like it's it shows that mm, it's a little bit more than that because it's a little bit of a, a warning bell there."
2: Oh yeah, no, there's no question that relationship is is rocky at the moment. It's rocky at the moment.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the overall structure of the episode because it was it was a departure from the usual setup right. of of how yeah. they, you know, a traditional first, second, third fourth, sometimes fifth act on scripted television. This one had time shifting. Mm -hmm. It had multiple plot lines that sometimes they overlapped each other at once or twice because of your backing up in time and seeing how things developed. How did you feel that was executed? Because for myself, I was a little bit confused at first, and then I found myself more questioning at the end, was it really necessary to do that as much? Because it didn't seem like the last act or so, with Don looking for Megan and trying to find out what was going on, it seemed like whatever they had set up in the beginning, it didn't quite match as well at the end when there was that search, search, and then it was just sort of a deflating, well, okay, you were, you're were home all the time. And it's like, well, that didn't seem to really mesh too much with like the beginning. The time-shifting... The purpose might have been that because of like the whole LSD trip, as the viewer, you're sort of like, whoa, where am I? What's going on? It's disorienting. It, it's a different experience from what you thought you were getting. But I'm not sure if it was entirely, for my liking, as executed as, as well as I would have liked.
2: What do you think, Jesse? I don't know.
1: So it is their version, and what is the famous Japanese film? Russia. My. Yes, you know, uh-huh. where it's the different perspectives. I'm okay ...that they wanted to do something different. Last episode, you guys talked about the cutting back and forth. It was some very clever editing where you're talking to one person... ...and by the way, Game of Thrones did the same thing on that episode for that Sunday... ...you know, that when uh, Tyrion is talking to the members of the council... ...the same conversation and they cut through. So I thought that was kind of interesting that that both happened on the same night... So I'm okay that they wanted to do something different, but I don't want this to be something they do all the time. Some shows in Battlestar Galactica and others got into the habit of they show you a scene and then they go 12 hours earlier or three days earlier and then they go back to that point and it could become a crutch. For a change of pace, for a nice telling story, I'm okay with it and I thought it worked fine but it wouldn 't this is not how I want mad men to be
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they 're trying to be experimental. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I agree with you i don 't want too many I, you don 't want to go to this well too many times. We have seen a dream sequence, a kind of an unannounced dream sequence there with Don murdering that woman. And pushing her under the bed. So, we don't want too much of that because you can go to the well too many times and then you don't believe anything that's going on in, in a show. But it, it was a little, I, I felt just like you, Brian. The first flashback was a little bit difficult to pick up on, but after that, yeah, I thought it was fine. I like the fact that the LSD and then I guess uh, the pot in the movie theater with Peggy and that man that she meets there, I thought that was fine. I thought the fact that they're playing with time was, it was a Clever little piece of work. I thought it was well done.
0: I thought the time element was, I mean, it was okay. I just thought it was just not, I don't want to say sloppy, because that's too harsh. But I just didn't think it needed to be as done quite as much, or in the manner that it was done. I mean, I get that it was perhaps just something different, something to be disorienting, as if you're on your own trip. The title of the episode, "Faraway Away Places, two characters go on drug places. I mean, the LSD trip, obviously, with Roger and... Peggy is smoking pot and drinking and smoking, doing her own thing. Don physically is moving to a different location. So you have those parallels and maybe they want to like just kinda blur the, the lines a little bit and kind of shift it around so it wasn't quite so obvious. But in the process I think it might have just muddied it a little bit. But
2: anyway. Just more on the timing thing you remember uh, Don was flashing back a little bit too. He was thinking about his vacation in last season in California where Megan and he first, you know, really got, well, not first, but uh, started to cement their relationship. If you could call just a few days in California as a a relationship, but okay. So he was flashing back to that. So there again is the theme of time in this episode. And then, you remember when the cop asks and the policeman asks, Don, how long has Megan been missing? You know, it takes him a little bit of time to, to figure it out. He can't remember. So, again, there's the element of time in this episode.
1: I cannot remember the psychiatrist that was the consultant last year. Uh, Dr. Faye done, Miller. Yeah, Faye says, you oh, like yes. beginnings.
2: Yeah, you only like the beginning of things, yeah. And
1: so, and he's thinking back to the beginning, right, where Sally is sleeping, and, and, you know, and he's like, well, it'll be, you know, bare, and he's thinking all the happiness, and I don't know where he's wanting this to go. We three think that Megan is good for him. This is a Mm. good relationship. It's a Mm. healthy relationship, but you know, is he going to screw it up because of his childhood, because of his the baggage he's bringing? I just don't know.
2: Well, look, Megan really hits him hard when she says, Don said, oh, you could have called your mother, and she responded, well, you could have called your mother. Ah, of course, Don's mother uh, died in childbirth, so Don's mother is not reachable at the moment. But that really hurt him. That sent him into a spin there, didn't it? Yeah,
0: and that was sort of a... I mean, that was an intentional Was snipe. it
2: intentional? Was it unintentional? I don't know.
0: Well, don't, she has to know that his, his parents aren't well, around. Well,
2: yeah, she does, but I mean, maybe, she, you know, when somebody says, you know, so's yours, and then you respond quickly without thinking, so's yours, you know. Mm-hmm. Was it one of those? Was it, an, you know, sort of an unthinking response? Yeah. Or was it intentional to hurt the guy? I don't know. I don't know.
1: Megan was really angry with him. Oh, yeah. She no was, question. And so I think she wanted to hurt him. And then he responded, in turn, really mad at her because she's not being the perfect, look, why aren't you happy that I pulled you from work, that we're going on this trip, and look, I got you Sherbert, Arm uh, Sherbert, why aren't you thrilled?
2: Yeah. You know, and, well, he's and, treating her like a child, and she's not a yeah, child. Exactly. You Absolutely. Well, I wanted to get back to a point that, so, okay. I, I can't remember, I think, I think you made it, Jesse, or or you did, Brian, I'm not sure. You said that whatever Don does, he's likable, and whatever Betty does, she's unlikable. But you said that in this episode, you did not like Don. Let's get back to that. What specifically? Was it when he was running after her in the apartment?
1: I think when he left her. Yeah. And then in the apartment, you know, you're wondering, is he going to hurt her? It was a stressful, tense situation in that apartment. You know, is it going to get physical? I was not sure. Well,
0: you kind of go back to the fever dream that he had where he got so angry that he, in the dream, choked and killed Andrea, I guess that was her name. And you're wondering, all right, he's really upset now. Is he going to, not purposefully, but one of those things like it's a classic, you know, he the moment type of situation where I didn't mean to, you know, either push her that hard or do something to her that much. But, oh, you did. And now she's hurt. Dead.
2: I thought there was gonna be some makeup sex there, didn't you?
0: I was hoping not, because the first time cleaning the apartment, I think she wanted that to happen. She wanted to right. like, pull him out of his dumps and be like, Come on, get over here and you know, stop being so mopey. This time she had no interest in that and for her then to have been like, oh, Okay, we'll have sex I would have been like my admiration for the character would have dropped because she just would have been, I don't know, just not as as much fortitude to deal with him and his his bullshit. You know, I I was just like, don't let him just like turn on the tears. And suddenly you're like, oh, Don. And she didn't. So to her credit, I thought that was good that she did not.
1: I agree with you. The tone of these two arguments, if we're going to use that term, were different. In the other one, he was kind of moping and he was unhappy about the birthday party. And she wanted to... Let's get past this and let's move on. This was a quote unquote as he said it, we had a fight. But this one, he was cruel. He abandoned yeah, he her. And then he comes back almost demanding, Do you not know how worried I was? Why didn't you pick up the phone? It was all about him still versus I am so sorry. I have a horrible temper. I I was worried to death that you were you know, something had happened to you. I'm wrong, I'm sorry, this was all, even in his anger and his relief in seeing she was okay, it was still about, how could you have done this to me? That's true.
0: Yeah.
2: I want to talk a little bit about, or I I want to hear your input on, on this very interesting character that we see little snippets of all the time, but we don't really get much deeper than that, and that is Mm Ginsberg, who now feels he's a Martian.
1: You know, is he embarrassed about his father? And then the idea that he was born in a concentration camp, I'm mm-hmm. doing the math. I think that is possible, right, in this time mm-hmm. frame? No, yeah, I think it is. And it, I mean, I guess all of us at different times have felt isolated and felt like no one, we're not like anyone else. But it was weird, kind of divergent, and just him talking about this, almost he was talking out loud to himself, and Peggy listening. I'm not sure how I feel about that. It was kind of one of those, uh, okay, well, I'm going to follow that in the back, and maybe that's going to be important later, or maybe this was just to stay in the musical thing. Maybe it's just a little riff that went off on its own, and then we're back to the main piece of music.
0: Again, to go back to the direction, overall direction of the episode, if you notice, you know, when he was having that little confession, I guess, about his past whether it was true or not it was entirely shot with him with his back to her and you saw his reflection in the window you saw him from the front but it was entirely a reflection and i thought that was a really interesting choice to shoot it that way and you know what does that say on its own and then you think well then there's also the fact that roger was looking in the mirror and seeing his own self during his trip reflected half with like dark hair half with like his silver hair. Don telling him, and the doctor also saying, don't look in the mirror, don't do this. And meanwhile, that shot of Ginsburg was like, he was looking, staring out into the night, and we see him in reflection the whole time. That has to mean something, and I don't know what to make of his character right now. It's He's just an odd person. And you think about some of the stories they've brought up so far, like the person who murdered all those people, and then there's the, the sniper down at that university. Yeah, I respect, yeah. And you hear about people who are like in the workplace who are like, well, he seemed like a normal guy, but he was a little bit odd. And it's like, I just wonder if they're setting him up as being a potentially unstable person that with the bedrock of this early episodes of the season of other people who just went bananas and just like did horrible things to other people. I don't know. This is in my mind. It's just occurs to me. Is he, well, is, is he capable of that? Is he going to grab Pete's shotgun and like, you know, do something crazy? I, I don't know.
1: So let's talk about Peggy. First off, I love the idea that I've had a bad meeting, so I'm going to go to the movies. Ah. You know?
2: Well, that's a a Don Draper move, isn't it?
1: Well, she wants to be Don, so desperate. Yeah,
2: she is Don, yeah. She's trying to be the old Don, yeah. Sexually and professionally.
1: Yes. And I was a little taken back by, and I went, could you smoke in a the movie theater back then?
0: I'm sure you yeah. could. I mean, <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, well, I remember when you could smoke on airplanes, and I, yeah. I'm sure yeah. you could smoke in uh, movie theaters as well, and almost anywhere,
1: really. Right. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting. Like, yeah, sure, I'll take a hit. And then he comes over there, and he starts getting a little adventurous, and she's wants to be in control. And mm-hmm. she goes, no, 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 just watch the movie.
2: Yeah. Well, what I liked, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot to say about this, but the, the thing that I liked was, you know, you just look at this series and you say, you know, how many series don't uh, develop their characters? As you know, in the last few weeks, I've been so uh, surprised, but also pleased that Peggy's character keeps growing each season. I think I said last week or maybe the week before, would Peggy have ever done anything like this in the first season or so? And obviously not. I mean, she never would have walked out in the middle of the day and gone to a movie and smoked grass and had a sort of an illicit sexual encounter in the movie. Never, never, never would have done that. So I'm kind of glad that the character keeps evolving, which is great because you don't normally see that on television.
0: So we talked about this episode, and I thought it was a pretty good episode, notwithstanding the qualms I had about the, um, the, the time shifting and whatnot, the flashbacks that mm-hmm. I mentioned. But this is the first episode I felt this season, which I kind of am hoping that there's more underlying direction about overall character and dramatic tension. I guess the way for me to articulate it is I remember like in Six Feet Under was in this first couple of seasons, and I really enjoyed that show. And I felt like the characters and the overall direction had a certain quality to it that made you really root for the characters because there was each character had their own arcs and their own challenges and conflicts that they were trying to deal with. And even like the business they were running, their family business had this arch enemy, which is the Kroner Corporation, which is like this McDonald's Mm -hmm. of funeral homes. There was always like this underlying threat of them being taken over or the business becoming bankrupt because of this other corporation. And after like the first few seasons, Kroner Corporation just suddenly like was dissolved out of the picture. And after that, and then the characters started to like repeat certain things, like was it David Fisher and oh, his, yeah. you know, his boyfriend, they split up, they got back together, they split up, they got back together. And same thing with Nate Fisher. He's, you know, he was with his girlfriend. And then and there was like this sort of a cycle. And after a while, I was like, there's not the same amount of... They've been to the well a few times with certain characters or certain things they yep. do. It didn't draw me in as much as it did at the beginning. This is the first time this season where I was kind of like, well, I kind of don't know where they're going mm-hmm. with this season. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously I give them a long, long leash for I, mean, I don't expect them to do things in one episode. But here we are five episodes in the business. It, we draw a parallel a little bit. The agency started as Sterling Cooper. They had some problems. They ended up becoming this new agency and they were really struggling. So you had that. They're stable but what's happening there? And then with all the other characters, it's like Roger had a wife. cheated on her, found a new wife. Got dissatisfied with her. It looks like he's going to be divorcing her. Okay. Don had a wife, unhappy, he's cheated on her, found a new wife, now there's something to happen. I mean, I again with the first couple of seasons, the whole mystery of Dick Whitman and Don Draper, I mean that was a core focus. Now I'm like, where's the tension coming from? Where's I just don't want to see characters breaking up and reacquainting themselves with the same characters over and over again.
2: I hear what you're saying. And on the one hand you're right. I mean series tend to ebb and flow. And, you know, series that last this long, I mean, they're in their fifth season, unless they're really, really hot in terms of writing and character development. Yeah, they tend to fumble. I completely agree. I think Six Feet Under hung around a little bit too long, although the last episode, that, that last episode is fabulous. But certainly uh, Mad Men could succumb to this problem that most series have i thought like for example the second season of the sopranos was a little bit off but third fourth fifth and sixth were much better the thing that you also have to think about i believe is weiner wants to show what these people's lives were like and he doesn't want to take too much dramatic license and what i mean by that is these advertising guys were not very happy people a lot of the times they did get divorced they did fool around they weren't happy in marriage. And I think he's trying to show that. And that's part of the show.
1: Maureen Ryan and uh, Ryan McGee do a weekly podcast. And one of their discussions, they will usually talk about Mad Men. And I don't remember the guest critic they had, but someone said this is the season where Matthew Weiner is showing, answering the criticism, nothing happens in the show. Mm-hmm. So it appears your thought, Brian, is we are not having a strategic episode, just a lot of tactical things happening in each episode, but we haven't had an overall theme. Is that your kind of point? Yeah,
0: I'm just worried that characters, and this happens in all series, but they reset to a certain degree. Some of it's positive, like Joan divorcing her husband. and But at the end of the day, where is she? She's back at the office. And what has changed? This is sort of the issue I had. Again, I go talk about Battlestar Galactica a lot, but this is um, show I was very familiar with. We did a podcast about for five years. (laughs) But uh, they had the whole great cliffhanger where they landed on a planet and they said a year and a half later, this is what happened. And you're like, holy cow. They just had this huge jump in time and they're not fooling around. It wasn't a dream. Um, And they had this big event happen. And then within... You know, half a season later, they are back in space, but and very little had changed. And so, like, what was the point of that incredible gambit to really shake things up? And it's like, if you're going to make something like that, if you're going to do something, you got to, like, just do more than just return to the status quo. And again, TV is not a novel. A novel plots itself differently, and you arrive at things differently. But I'm not concerned. I mean, I just, you know, I guess I am a little bit, but I, I just, I'm anxious to see what the thing that you tune in for other than wow i'm happy to watch these characters and their fucked up lives is you know i want there to be more yes. than that it's good because that's a good show but a great show is the one where you're like you get that plus wow what's going to happen with xyz yeah
2: i mean the, the criticism of Mad Men, of course from people who don't like it it's yeah it moves way too slowly for me people said the same thing about the sopranos one person i spoke with when i asked them what they thought about the first couple of episodes of this season. They said, it's more of the same, nothing new. I don't know, but here we are sitting here for an hour each week talking about all the nuances and all the, you know, things. So I I think there's something definitely about this series that gets people talking, that gets people thinking, whereas a lot of other series, uh, you don't have that.
1: I totally agree with you, Brian. I think, and this may be the case where we are seeing the past seasons in their completion, and that's when we see, oh, what this season was about this. And this season, since we are not doing, it appears, a major one historical event, Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy's assassination, Nixon and Kennedy's election, but other checkpoints among the time period, it may be a more of a It will be after the fact we'll see this theme. I will totally agree with you guys that this is moving along well, and there is a lot of depth in the show, and and I'm enjoying the journey so far. I am curious, after the ending, where Bert calls him on the carpet, I am curious, and then it is not by accident that they are in the conference room with the glass walls, And you see Peggy moving one direction, the other team Mm. moving in the other direction, waving at Don. Literally, people are passing him by. Mm -hmm. No one is pulling in the same direction. Don needs to get everyone on the same page to mix our metaphors, rowing in the same direction. Yes, I'm
0: glad you brought that shot up because I had noted that as well, and I thought that was a really nice touch. And even the very final shot of the episode with Don, kind of Kennedy-esque, with his Mm -hmm. shoulders hunched and his hands on the desk, leaning over and and you see him from the back feeling the brunt and the weight of this. And I mean, in a way it was, like I said, that one Kennedy shot, but also it also plays off of, they often show the the quote Draper shot a lot of from the opening credits with him, with his arm out sitting somewhere or from Mm -hmm. the back. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was sort of a take on that too. Yeah, I totally agree. And I am hoping that like last week, we had the Pete episode. We can call it that. And this episode, zero Pete. I mean, he wasn't in there at all. There was no lane. And I assume it's budgetary or just, you know, this things that they yeah. do because this is realities of television is that they have to do certain things and they have to budget a certain way and shoot a certain way so that you can't have characters all the time. But I would appreciate if I could pick my dream show that they would be able to have more than just like one line of Pete where the previous episode... He was the complete A story. I would like there to be more carryover. Like, you know, how does he feel this week after being punched in the face and like totally humiliated? There you get no sense of what happened.
1: And I, I would love to see the discussion him and Trudy had. Oh yeah. What the hell happened? You know? I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean we'll finally we'll hear about that in some way, like probably yes. in the future, but it would have been nice for them to have been a single line, like someone would say something and it, not be intentional, but for him to take it as, oh, you know, you heard about me getting the shit kicked out of me. Or, you know, just something. Ugh. But it didn't happen that way. And, or just Lane making a remark to Roger about, you know, the Jaguar deal that fell through.
1: When we talk about budget, think about the cost in creating a Howard Johnson's restaurant. Mm. <laughs> you know, not a modern Howard Johnson's restaurant but a just the set and time of creating that world that they're going to use once. Right Now, true, mm-hmm. it was for the episode, so they didn't have any money left to pay Pete Lane because they spent it all right. on these orange things.
0: Well, that's funny you bring that up because the director of this episode was Scott Hornbacher. We don't have time this episode for me to talk about it, but I have a story <laughs> that I will relate okay. in a – probably the end of the season about my brush with Mad Men and how I, when I was in LA, my brush with Mad Men, but, um, he, okay, let's make a note of that. Yeah, it will happen. You mm-hmm. Got
1: that on your notes. Yeah. Cause that, that sounds awesome.
0: It is awesome. But anyway, he's a uh, producer on the show and I, he might be a, at this point, an executive producer, but, um, back in the day he was a producer, which the producers tend to also deal with a lot of the budgetary stuff. And, and this is part of the story, which I will relate later, but he as a director, but he's also a producer and they deal a lot with the budgets and things like that. And, uh, In this episode, I did pay attention a lot to what you mentioned, the Howard Johnsons, the set, and you know me, Jesse, I'm very, uh, sorry to say, picky. I mean, the one part of the episode which I absolutely detested was the driving scenes where they were driving, I thought the green screen on that was horrible. It totally took me out of the the whole scene. I was like, this is terrible. But the scenes in the Howard Johnson were great. And I think the scenes were, and I could be wrong, but the scenes of him in the payphone in front of the Howard Johnsons, I wouldn't be surprised if he was just in the payphone and there was just a green screen behind him that had no Howard Johnson at all. I could be wrong, but I've seen some incredible green screen work where they do that type of set extension and I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they did. But that type of interior diner, I have a feeling there's a lot somewhere where they're like, oh, you need an old diner? Sure, here's this. We can dress it up to look, I'm sure they did do some work to make it look Howard Johnson-y. Just in terms of the overall show, again, I thought the parallelism between some of the things they were saying was great. Someone asked, you know, what time is it? I think that happened a couple of times. Where someone in the episode was like, what time is it? Gives you a sense of, like, you know, what's really going on. Where are we? That was another theme. Well done. So I think we're in consensus about this one then. We're ready to
1: yes, wrap think, it up? Yep.
0: Okay. Thanks again for subscribing. You can find us on the web at madcast.net and also iTunes if you look up Scotch and Smoke's podcast and also on Facebook. So until next time, the bar is open.
2: And, and is the bar serving uh, LST? <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. No, bourbon. Bourbon.
1: Bourbon, bourbon after uh, all my tours. So. Oh, okay. Right. All right.
0: Thanks, Thanks everyone. Care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.